Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly. I'm Philippa B and it's a duet this week as I'm joined by Jeremy Smith. Hi Jess. Hello. Now we're going to be looking back over what's been happening over the past week which is quite a lot of stuff both on and off the pitch. So if we start with the Ligue 1 uh, results from round nine, we started on Friday with Toulouse and Nice with a 1-1 draw before moving on on Saturday to one of the games we picked out as potentially interesting being Lille versus Saint-Étienne. It was interesting. It ended 3-1, a double for Jonathan Bamba with Pepe assisting one and Nicola Pepe getting the third for Lille with Bamba assisting. So that all looks uh, like that's working hunky-dory. In the multiplex on Saturday evening, we had Gangot and Montpellier drawing 1-1 in a game that saw both sides down to 10 men. Um, Angers and Strasbourg drawing 2-2 with some uh, with an extreme late equaliser from Angers' uh, Thomas. Um, Amiens beat Dijon 1-0 with a lovely strike from Godos. Our other game that we picked out was the battle of the promoted teams, Nîmes versus Rouse, that ended goalless. We're moving on. Uh, on Sunday, we had Bordeaux beating uh, beleaguered Nantes 3-0 with goals from Camano, uh, no, Carabo, Camano. Camano again. Yeah, many goals from Caramo. Um, lots of um, K's. Yeah, lots of K's and my writing, my handwriting is atrocious. Um, uh, Marseille beat Caen uh, 2-0 with goals from Mitroglou and Florian Tovan with a late goal from Jiku, uh scored off by VAR for, for offside. And Monaco continued their four starts of the season, losing 2-1 at home to Ren with Andrea Raji being sent off shortly before half time. We'll be coming on to Monaco in a minute uh, before the big game, and we'll be coming on to this again in a minute as PSG rolled 5 0 over Lyon again, both sides down to 10 men by the end, but dealing with that in very different ways. So we said. It was, by the way, it was Kamano again, not Caramo again. Yes. Ka- Yes, Caramo first, Kamano, Kamano. That's what I've got here. Yeah. Anyway, Monaco one, Ren two. Uh, Raj- uh, Falcao scored uh, for Monaco after De Silva had opened the scoring. Hatton Benarfa getting the winner for Ren, which is lovely. They also lost 3 uh, 0 to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League last week. Um, Things are not looking good, and what's kind of come out in the last couple of days is very heavy rumours that Monaco are considering sacking Leonardo Jardim, which quite a lot of people think is a really, really dumb move. Jeremy, do we agree that it's a really, really dumb... It would be a really, really dumb move if it happens? Uh, Yes and no. Um, I think it's a very risky move on the part of Monaco. Um, but if all the rumours are true, this is very much sort of mutual agreement. Everyone is still on very good terms, and I think everyone's just agreeing that maybe this is the best for everyone. Um, I think, you know, we talked, I think, during the sort of closing straight of last season and over the summer, that we expected that it had the feel of an end of a cycle to it. Mm. There was the period where, I think they lost a couple of matches. Well, they 
slaughtered by PSG 7-1. And then they lost the Gagan, scraped a draw, scraped a last-minute penalty win over Saint-Étienne. You know, that they got second place, but actually for most of the season, they were not playing brilliant football. Even right at the start, when for the first sort of six weeks or so, their stats were actually better than their title winning season, there was still something a little bit off, and that's only sort of snowballed. And then, obviously, with the way the summer went, a big overhaul of players as usual, but the ones that came in were even younger and even more experienced and mm. inexperienced than before. I, I was surprised that Jardim signed on for another year, and I think it's probably just sort of revealed itself maybe quicker than people were expecting, but maybe, like I said, just for all parties, possibly they should have pulled it quits at the end of last season. Um, by all accounts, the older players are not exactly, um, his message isn't getting across or he's not motivating them in the same way as before. The younger players are saying he's a little bit distant, not talking to them too much. And it sounds like he's kind of admitting the fight's gone out of him a little bit. Mm. So for Monaco, I think you know, their, their model of, of you know, selling, buying these young players and then selling them all for a huge profit is hugely risky and relies on someone like Chardin, or like Chardin has proved to be, who can very quickly mould them into a team and very quickly turn, in, turn them into more than just the prospects that they are, but you know, truly excellent players. And he's done that for four straight seasons. It's not surprising he's burnt out, but yeah. I don't know if Monaco are going to be able to find someone else who can do that. And either I think they'll fall into sort of mid-table or they'll have to completely change their, their sort of way of business. Mm. I think that's the, the key thing, really, because... I saw a tweet from one journalist earlier saying he hadn't made an impact at Monaco and he he clarified yeah. and said he meant this season because you're looking at it, third, third, first, second, quarterfinal, semi-final of Champions League, quarterfinal, semi-final of the Coupe de France, couple of Coupe de la Ligue finals. We've said basically every summer when we're rounding up what's happened in the transfer market, could this be a, mark, a window too far for Jardim to deal with? And to have done it four times, as you say, that's really impressive, particularly considering the different styles he used to do that. A couple of seasons ago, they were defensively obdurate and nobody was getting past them. Then the title-winning season, they just scored a ludicrous amount of goals, but their conversion rate was unheard of in like the last 10 years in the league. So he is able to adapt. It's just maybe this, as you say, has been... A step too far the older guys are getting older and the younger guys are getting younger and he doesn't have kind of the 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 players that hold it together in the way that he's had recently so I think it would be I mean if it sounds like he's burnt out it's mutual agreement fine but then maybe he should take a sabbatical instead of immediately being linked with the Man United job and various other places. I, what I'm slightly worried about is the name that seems to be linked with Monaco now is Thierry Henry, who obviously is uh, was a great player, is a good pundit, and seems to have been a, a good attacking coach um, for Belgium, but isn't necessarily the kind of person who's going to be able to walk into that dressing room and a just 
get it to get it to work if Jardim, who's a master tactician and very adaptable, can't do it. How is someone who is unproven in managerial um, stakes going to do that? I mean, what do you think? You know, who do you think they might bring in if this does come to pass? Well, there's talk of a three-man shortlist, and um, one of the names seems to be Marcelo Gallardo, who is a former player of theirs, and I think is doing quite well with the play. I can't um, profess to follow the Argentinian league that closely. Um, and then obviously Thierry Henry. And I guess the thing with him, as it was with Bordeaux, is just the great unknown. We, mm. we don't know how he's going to do as a manager. Um, in some ways, it's a very good place to start. It's you know, the same place he started his playing career. He's very popular there. Um, possibly because of the way the season started, there won't be so much pressure on him as long as he gets them out, out of the you know, relegation trouble. But at the same time, relatively speaking, you know, all jokes aside about the fact that there aren't huge crowds there and all the rest of it. On in, in French league terms, Monaco are a big club, so mm. and are for the moment anyway in Europe and are expected to qualify for Europe again. So there is a degree of expectation and you know does really need to hit the ground running. Mm. Um, I think, you know, people Everyone says that he's always been a you know great student of the game. He's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the game, and people talk the right way about him. But you're never going to know until he until he actually starts doing the job. He's done. You know, it sounds like as you said, he's done a good job as an attacking coach with Belgium. He's got a couple of Belgian players in the Monaco squad and Tiemann's and Chadley, so that may or may not help. You'd expect that the younger players. Um, <laughs> They're so young that maybe they don't even remember him. Yeah. Player, but, uh, that, yeah. Yes, that side of things may actually be becoming less important. <laughs> yeah. They're like, who's this guy? Yeah, um, but you'd yeah. think that possibly it would help, but you know, they might be a little bit starstruck, but you know, idolise him and sort of follow him. The interesting he, thing he need, the he'd ones. need a very good um, assistant. Though, wouldn't he, to, to yeah. kind of take care of the, the meat and potato stuff that needs to be sorted out at the back. I um, mean, it hasn't been mentioned anywhere, but a Wenger Ori dream team at Monaco <laughs> beautiful. Wenger back? Yeah. yeah. I think one thing that's kind of on the up is obviously Champions League, they've got nul point at the moment, but their next two games are the back-to-back against Club Brugge, while um, Dortmund and... Um, Atleti, Atletico Madrid play each other twice, which could be both a extremely interesting and quite violent. Um, so they actually have a good chance to kind of get back into um, the Champions League if you know they they deal with those next two games as one would hope they would. Um, so it's not completely you know out of sight yet, but you know they've got six points in the league and they're looking at a bunch you've got 10 11 12 above them there is already a gap that has developed and they need to deal with that quickly so whoever comes in is going to as you say have to hit the ground running and running quite fast yeah i mean for for europe realistically atletico and um uh dortmund are always going to be the favorites to qualify from the group i do think that Finish, you know, they should be aiming for Europa League at the very 
the very least. And to miss out on that for the second season in a row would be a bit embarrassing. But in the context of everything else so far this season, um, you would that understand would be good. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they sort of threw that just to focus on the league. But the thing is, you know, even irrespective of the, of the young players, you know, that was possibly that was the reason that it was the final straw against Red. Jardin fielded 10 internationals. So it's not, it's not just that they've only been left with a sort of kindergarten to look after. There are some decent players there. And, you know, he's been a little bit unlucky in that some are clearly on the way, like Glick and maybe even Falcao. And, and Raji. Yeah, definitely. And Tiedemans hasn't ever yet reached his potential. Subasic and Golovin, I think, were just shattered after the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't had the ideal working conditions but there are you know there clearly are issues there Mm. but at the same time there is a very decent squad there so if someone can you know really get them by the scruff of their neck they should not they should absolutely not be in any kind of relegation trouble over the long term so we will see how that pans out now elsewhere in the champions league um last week on tuesday OL drew 2-2 with Shakhtar, having gone down 2-0 at home to a double from Moyes Jr., it says here, uh, before getting two goals in two minutes from Dembele and Dubois to win the point, which of course felt like a win, but is just a point at home. So uh, with uh, City beating Hoffenheim 2-1, um, OL are top of Group F, but uh, and face Hoffenheim in the back-to-back games coming up next, which looks promising. However, certain things we'll come on to in a moment. The other Champions League game was, of course, PSG hosting um, Kavena Svezda, Red Star Belgrade, back in the competition for the first time in 20-odd whatever years, and winning 6-1 with goals from, hang on, hat-trick for Neymar, one for Cavani, one for Angel Di Maria, one for... Mbappe and Marco Marin getting the consolation-ish for for Red Star up there with Napoli beating Liverpool um, 1-0 the Napoli game is going to be extremely exciting uh, coming up soon so differing fortunes but looking good in the standings for the pair of them and they met on Sunday night and PSG won 5-0 in well, it sounds like a really weird game because PSG went ahead uh, within 10 minutes from a Neymar penalty. This was after uh, Nabil Fekir had limped off and he's apparently going to be out for a month. So not available for France, not available for OL for those two Hoffenheim games. Then on 35 minutes, uh, President Kimbembe was sent off for just a quite ridiculous challenge. Um, which was initially a yellow card, but then upgraded to a sending off by VAR. So OL, who at this point had about 71% possession, must have been thinking, right, we can get back into this. And then Luca Toussaint got sent off, bang on the stroke of half time. And the second half was basically the Mbappe show. He scored four goals between the 61st and 74th minute to make it 5-0. I mean, it was... It was it was something to watch, <laughs> really. It was quite incredible because Lyon started with the bulk of the possession, 71, 
by the time they were at halftime, they were at 63. They'd had nine shots to PSG's two at that point. Second half, by the end of it, they were down to 52% possession. PSG had gone up to 14 shots, eight on target. It was just, it was ruthless in that second half, what mostly Mbappe did to them. Um, Lots of people bitch about PSG, you know, they win, but they don't play nice football. I mean, this this was impressive, wouldn't you say? Mm, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes and no. I mean, like you said, it, it wasn't really a second half. It was a 13-minute blitz. And, mm. um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, of course, it's impressive. And that's why PSG have already won the title. They're already a ridiculous amount of points ahead. They haven't dropped a point. They scored an average of over three goals a game. It's, you know, for the first time, it really is embarrassing. You know, it's mm. different to Lyon winning seven in a row, but each of them was closely fought. This is, this is going to be, you know, yeah. genuinely. But look, looking at the count table, it's like you have to scroll to find people. It's exactly yeah. But I, I mean, as you said, that the first half really was quite evenly matched mm. um you know stupid rush of blood to the head from lopez to, to concede the penalty um but after that leon were arguably the better team um Kimpembe, you know frankly for for a while for a sort of the second quarter psg were more or less reduced to just hacking and yeah. i th- i think neymar should have been sent off not much fuss has been made i saw one correspondent say that if Kimpembe hadn't just been sent off. The ref may well have been a bit harsher on Neymar. Um, Verratti with a flying tackle that was a sort of yellow and a half as well. And in a way, the turning point was Toussaint going off because the way the first half finished, you could see Lyon sort of, you know, with the man advantage, really going for it even more in the second half. And I I think he knew how important it was. They they hit the bar as well, didn't they? Which would have been an equaliser or just narrowly over there was a there was a close call at the end of the the first half which might have changed things significantly what i thought was interesting was um thomas duco has uh, seems to be reinventing marquinhos previously a right back and a center back as a holding midfielder well this is this is why I was, this is why i said unimpressive yeah, well this was interesting because when kimpembe went off you've got a center back on the pitch but what he did was take off Cavani and bring on Tom Akeha, Um, because it, that makes sense because Leon are going, even without Fikir, are going to be a problem in midfield. You need a strong midfield. And when you've got, in a sense, a front, the three behind the striker of Angel Di Maria, Neymar and Mbappe, you don't actually need the striker as much as you need that midfield presence. So Cavani went off, um, Kera came on to fit, fit in at centre-back. The midfield stayed the same and then Mbappe took over and, and ran riot. So it was yeah, it was one of those substitutions that in a sense you were thinking, why? And then, no, it makes perfect sense what he actually did. What did you want to say about Marquinhos? Well, this is why I don't think PSG are particularly impressive. I thought Marquinhos had a really bad game. Um, I think, again, it just showed up that they are lacking in that position. And again, in Liga, they're, they're so dominant that, you know, Lyon beat them last year. Lyon had a decent 
crack at them for, for an hour on, on Sunday. For anyone else to beat them, they need everything to go their way. Um, and for PSG to have an off day. So, you know, already seven minutes in, Fekir limps off. It's, it's, things are already not going Lyon's way. And they still had a decent crack. PSG are so good and they've got players like Mbappe who are so talented that they can do what they did. You know, not for, the, for an hour be either you know, level with the other team or arguably worse, but just go up a gear or two that the other teams simply don't have and, and run away with it. But let's be fair, they've had one really competitive match this season and they lost it. And they lost it. Only by one goal, but you know, on play, probably lucky to only lose it by one goal. And as we say every single year, they can only be judged on the Champions League. Now, you know, Tuchel, I think, is doing a fantastic job. The fact that they've got players like Neymar and Mbappe mean that they could still be outplayed and still win matches. So I'm not saying that they can't win the Champions League, but I think the odds are stacked against them while they've still got a poor left back and they've still got no defensive midfield. And Marquinhos needs to really hurry up and improve if he's going to be Tuchel's man. Either that or they sign, you know, they come up with a great signing in January. But to me, yes, but extremely impressive on the league affront, but even in a 5 0 win, still to me, showing what we know, always know has been lacking um, from the Champions League perspective. So, plus a change, plus a même chose. Yeah. Okay, so one other thing that came out about PSG uh, this week was a graphic of how much that front three are passing to each other, which raises some interesting questions because... It feels like Neymar and Mbappe are getting to be best buds, um, but nobody's really passing to Cavani, which makes you think that given that he's already scored five goals in the league this season, if nobody, none of the other attackers are passing to him, he's still doing a pretty good job. But does it feel like he's being a little bit sidelined by the new kind of bromance going on uh, between Neymar and Mbappe, would you say? I think it does. I mean, to, I suppose that the statistics are a bit of a lie, only in the sense that Cavani has never been involved in in the play. I mean, he's you know he's the the last man who you usually expect to receive the final pass and then score or not. Whereas Neymar and Mbappe, you expect to be more involved in the build-up. So it's only natural that there would be more passes between them. I think. Mm. But you but, would also expect them to be trying to find the last man. Exactly. I mean, I think it was... Which is the bit that's missing. It's basically the full-backs who were passing to Cavani. Yeah, I, th I think um, against Red Star, there was possibly just two passes by one of them to him and none to the other. I can't remember the exact stats, but yeah, sh shockingly bad. And against Lyon as well, I don't think there was a single pass to him. From He was only on the pitch for 40 minutes, but... I don't think he received a single pass from either. And against, yeah, I think against Red Star, he received two from Mbappe, none from Neymar, something like that. To me, that that does seem an issue. And uh, you know, PSG fans said the other day, well, so what? It clearly works. We're scoring an average of three a game. But again, I think you have to read it. You can't just read anything with PSG in just a mm. new context. 
And I think there is a concern there. I mean, to be fair, it's probably more a concern for Cavani than anyone else because we know that Mbappe can play perfectly well as a centre forward as well. So, and likes to play in a front two. So it may well be that at some point Tuchel will even go as far as to ditch Cavani. Um, I mean, the fact that he's kind of publicly had a bit of a, a moan at Cavani for not doing his defensive shift to me seems ridiculously unfair considering, again, he's the last man. Surely yeah. Neymar and Mbappe uh, further back have got less distance to run to help the defence. It's crazy to to criticise Cavani for something that surely he does as a bit of a bonus anyway. Mm. Um, but that does suggest that there's... Yeah, that he's kind of fallen out of favour, or certainly doesn't have as many get out of jail free cards as he's had before. Because when we, we, you know, we talk sometimes about Olivier Giroud and you know the defensive shift he can put in, he does that defensive shift because he's a tall guy who defends at corners, which I'm not sure is quite Cavani's bag. Um, one thing I noticed about you know the interlal is on was how much more cheerful and natural Cavani's Twitter feed seemed once he was off on international duty with his mates he's tweeting in three different languages he's smiling in every photo he just seems much happier there it does seem a little bit of an awkward situation which we've discussed before it being awkward you know he had you know Zlatan was there which caused him problems you know Mbappe comes in it causes him problems Neymar comes in it's like you feel a bit sorry for the guy. You know, he does shin the occasional one, but his conversion rate is extremely good. So it does feel a little bit awkward um, for for him. But as you say, they've already won the league. It's going to be a case of can they, uh, what can they do in the Champions League? So with the next two games being against Napoli, this could be extremely interesting because I think that defence, as you say, with Bernat, the left back... You know, possibly the whole holding midfield thing not quite working out yet. That That's going to be put under some pressure. Um, so it's going to be a case of who's going to score more, basically, in these two games. Do you think so? I think so. I mean, I think for Cavani, the, the, he's clearly a very different character to, to, to Neymar and, and it looks like Mbappe's going that way as well. And um, you know, another PSG fan said to me the other day, well, Cavani's not as nice a guy as, as he seems. He's just got good PR or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but he certainly seems a quieter person. You know, he's very into his horses and his horse racing. And, yeah, I think he won a lot of friends in France, actually, when, when the, um, the documentary about the World Cup came out. And after the after France beat Uruguay, he came into the France changing mm. room to, to congratulate everyone. I think he does cut. I don't care what anyone or, or PSG apologists will say. I think he comes across as a hell of a much nicer guy than, than Neymar does, for example. And I think, you know, the sort of whole bling bling Neymar Mbappe thing clearly is in his bag. There is, everyone knows that there's a Brazil clique in PSG. It seems like Neymar has kind of joined that clique. And at the same time, Cavani has lost his clique with mm. Pastore, um, Los Celso, but she's, you know, she's Spanish speakers leaving. So he probably does feel quite isolated in the changing room. And arguably, Matt, you know, for people like Maxwell and obviously Tuchel do have quite a lot of responsibility there to, to keep up Buffon as well, maybe with these sort of Italian connections, Cavani having been, been at Napoli, have a, 
if they want him to, to kind of stay happy and motivated, there's a lot of onus on them to, to keep him happy. It may well be that, you know, they're ready to sell him in January, who knows? But, um, the, you know, the fact is that he is still their most reliable scorer. Mbappe himself admitted that although he scored four the other day, he also missed a handful of chances, including mm. three one-on-ones. Cavani, like you said, he, he you know he does he has got his fair share of misses, but I, I would still say he's the best finisher of yeah. PSG. I and think I, I, th- I think the the thing we notice is if he misses, he misses bad. It's not like they go just past the post. I mean, he misses bad, but it's actually the same number of misses. So I'm not sure it's you know that problematic it's just when everything's a machine um at psg then you expect the players to be perfect and he's in a sense more human than that so um shall we move on just briefly to the other european competition where in the europa league do we have to well it's going to be brief jez make yourself a cup of tea um Bordeaux lost uh, 2-1 to Copenhagen. Uh, They've got no points in the bottom of Group C. Um, Marseille were 2-0 up against Apollon Limassol from Payet and Louis Gustavo. And then Apollon got two back to draw. Um, So Monaco now have... uh, Sorry, Marseille have one point and at the bottom of Group H. Uh, the team doing kind of best of the Europa Leagues are, are Ren, and they lost uh, 2-0 to Astana. Astana from Kazakhstan? I yes. can't remember. Yes, Kazakhstan. So that's, you know, not something I think they were expecting to happen. Um, so they're second with three points in that group. And we'll be playing Dynamo Kiev back-to-back next, which I think should be interesting. Um, so the Europa teams are all all looking a little bit shaky, but we'll we'll see how that all pans out um, in the next round. So the next I thing, think, uh, yeah, I mean, just quickly, I, I, you know. is this but, about Marseille? No, 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 just all of okay. them basically. I think you know they they can all argue that. It's not a priority for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ren have had a bad start to the season. Bordeaux have had a disrupted start to the season. And Marseille are focused on getting a Champions League place. But those results on Thursday were awful. The fact yeah. that all three teams conceded after the 90th minute is completely unprofessional. And it's not like any of them were playing any sort of European greats, with due respect to, to Copenhagen and mm. not even giving in to the other two. Um, it's it's not good enough, and it, it's that was a real embarrassment for the game. Yeah. So moving on to happier ground, uh, France. France yes. are playing Iceland in a friendly on Thursday, and Germany in the League of Nations or whatever hell it's called in your translation on Tuesday. Um, we've got some interesting. Uh, Absences, um, um, Titi's out and Fekir is now out. And who else is out? Uh, uh, left, left back must be out because Mendy's out. 
Mendy's out, right. So basically, looking at the squad that's been named, centre-back-wise, we have Kimpembe, Varane, Sacco, and Zuma, and obviously Lucas and Benjamin Pavard can come in. Um, we didn't see Furlan Mendy, who some of us were hoping for. Uh, Undombele is in, which I think everybody was expecting, but he's still lovely to see in the absence of uh, other midfielders. And yeah, so how do we feel this is going to go? Obviously, I, the Iceland game seems to me to be more like make sure everybody gets out alive. Um, and then Germany is the important game on Tuesday. But it's going to be interesting if a couple of the new guys come in. But there's not that many new guys. Basically, are these games going to be worth watching? Uh, I think, I mean, Iceland you'd hope is worth watching because you'd expect France to have a reasonably good win. But, you know, Everyone knows underestimate Iceland at your peril, and this will presumably be the match where Deschamps experiments a little bit more. Um, Lekip and, and ONC have both predicted their lineups, and they've actually been quite different, but they've, they've both kind of speculated on possible changes of formation, trying Mbappe up front by himself. Uh, one of them even has Tovan starting, which would, which would be quite a revolution for, for Deschamps. Um, so I think he will, that that will be the one where he plays around a bit. So if you're if you're interested in watching friendlies for experimentation and seeing players that you won't normally see in in in, in a France shirt, then maybe this one's for you. And then I think um, you know a match against Germany I think is always worth watching. There's always a little bit of niggle. Um, again, no one knows exactly really is it a friendly is it not how seriously should we take it. But I think both teams will want to take it seriously. I think they, they did in the first match between them. And mm. you know, in, in a way, it was a pity that it was so early on in the season and neither of them could really go at it full tilt. This one's a little bit further in, so hopefully a little bit more action. Um, but, you know, France will want to assert themselves as, as world champions as well as, you know, hopefully secure their place at the top of the, the Nations League group. In Germany, you've still got um, you know, dented pride to, to restore. So I think that one, yeah, I think it it will be a, an important match. And then, you know, in terms of the, the players that have come in, if they get given a chance, I mean, personally, I think Dean deserved to come in ahead of, of Mendy. I think he's had a very good start to the season. I still think Mendy is going to be excellent, but still a little bit of a liability at times. If Dean, or uh, sorry, if Sarko or Zuma get a chance. Um, Zuma, again, I think probably deserved it. Sako, personally, I think it's very lucky to get the place ahead of, mm. ahead of Laporte. So yes. I, think, I, mean, I think that's the one that people are a bit what about more yeah. than any of the others. Deschamps explained himself. He sort of justified it quite well, but still, I'm still... If I was Laporte, I'd still be pretty pissed off. Although Rich tweeted some some very interesting comments from from Samuel the other day, saying that uh, Laporte has never been particularly committed to France, which is weird because he was um, Samuel's under twenty one captain. Mm. So it's a little bit contradictory. But um, you know, as as these matches always are, they are good opportunities for other other players to impress. Payet 
was obviously obviously had the, the blow missing the World Cup, so he, he he'll be looking to take advantage of replacing Fekir. Personally, I'd have gone with Lacazette, and mm-hmm. I think you know Deschamps said something interesting that you know I don't want to have to deal with too big a group, not in terms of the squad, but even the the ones sort of on the fringes of the squad. So you know he I think he's kind of made it clear that it's going to be difficult to break into the squad, which I think for Lacazette is a real blow, because I really think he started the season. That's not really going to, you know, encourage people to try hard and win a place, is it? It just seems a bit... It's not, but, you know, at the same time, a couple of players maybe are a bit injury-prone. Payet is the wrong side of 30 and has gone through long periods of loss of form before. So there, there is that aspect. Giroud... I wouldn't be surprised if as soon as he overtakes Trezeguet in the scoring charts, he quits anyway. I'm not sure that he thinks that he's going to still be around in the Euros. So there is still motivation for some of them, but it does seem more and more like a, like a closed shop. And you do wonder when Deschamps is going to you know, stop handing out what seems like gifts to the Ramis and the Sackos mm. just because of their, their past rather than their present. Mm. Um, in other international news, uh, obviously France don't need to qualify for the World Cup next year. This is the women's team because they're hosting it. So looking forward to this. Um, they had a uh, friendly on Tuesday against Cameroon. They won 6-0. If you're giving up a brace to a centre-back, Griezmann and uh that's not a good sign. But goal, two goals for um, Mbok. Uh, two for Kenza Dali, one for the evergreen Eugenie de Sommer and uh, one for uh, Candidatio Diani as well. So France, uh, the women's team having some having some fun there and really solidifying under um, Corinne Diak, which is great to see for the, the World Cup next year. The interesting thing there is she played two completely different formations in the two matches because also beat Australia the other day. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't watched the highlights, but apparently, according to Lecky, although not necessarily according to the FFF's formation anyway, according to Lecky, Eugenie Le Sommer played as a, as a midfielder yesterday <laughs> and, and was the best player on the pitch. So, right. Um, uh, the good goals... to know there's a few options there. Well, she got a brace against Australia in the, in the previous game. So, um, you know, maybe you just give people a... Give people a chance. I don't know. But uh, she she has been moving things around, which I think is interesting, calling new people up, which is also interesting. It seems like everybody is going to be given a chance to stake their claim. Um, obviously, with only uh, Amicals at the moment, that's going to be interesting. I think they might have uh, one of the Cyprus Cup or something like that early next year, which is actually, or maybe the She Believes Cup, which is is actually um, competitive. So that would be a really good time to kind of test themselves going into that that World Cup, which again, I am so excited about. Anyway, so uh, coming up, we've got the international break. So it's Iceland on Thursday, Germany on Tuesday. Then we're back into the melee that is Ligue 1. Hopefully we'll be back next week possibly Wednesday as a result of that, with maybe more of the team together when Chris has come back from Malta and various other things. So um, 
thank you for listening. If you have any questions for the next part, do send them in on Twitter or in the comments under the article we will be publishing the pod in. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we'll speak to you very soon.